Okay, thank you for that. Did everybody get notes? Everybody get notes tonight on your way in? Headed toward Colossians chapter 3. And if you were not here this morning and you're wondering why there is a tumbleweed on the platform, you can check out iTunes this week and figure that out. Now, Colossians chapter 3. And we are going to be in verse number 17 as we get started. And we're talking about trap 12 tonight, mediocrity. Uh, this is a, a big trap for our young people here in the modern age. There are, uh, are an ever-rising number of those who just settle for the status quo or even below the status quo. And uh, that's not God's instruction for us. So Colossians 3 in verse number 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And let's pray. Father, we thank You for for the instructions from Your Word, and thank You that we could come together as a church tonight to find out more uh, about how to shape our lives and conform our lives to the image of Jesus Christ. Pray that You would guide us in that task, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start right out in your notes and and see how far we can get here tonight. The trap of mediocrity snags teens into becoming complacent and average. And uh, this is when people only do enough to get by. Um, I don't know if you're like that or if somebody in your family is like that or if you know somebody in society who's like that. But we live in a generation of people many of whom do only enough to get by. And, and that's a statistic that is driving our entire society down. Here's what we say, and you know, the problem with average is that it is always slipping downward. It's slipping downward in many areas, morally, academically, and professionally. And, and so there's a slippage that takes place when we all just live based on average, because average always keeps moving down. And it's, it's true. If you go back in society, <laughs> we, we always hear how society has improved and how it's greater than it's ever been. You go back and look at a, a trigonometry textbook from 1912. Go back and um, study some of the historians from the 1800s. And there's some weight in those things. Now, we have more information than we've ever had. Because of the internet, information is consumed and created just monstrous amounts of information. In fact, every year now, more information is created in one year than there's ever been on the planet before. Now, here's the amazing thing. God knows much, much more than that. In fact, He knows how many hairs are on your head tonight. And he knows exactly what the needs are on your life. And as we train young people and we teach young people as parents, we need to teach them not to settle for the status quo, for average, and just do enough to get by. And I know it's a struggle that we face all the time as parents uh, of teaching our young people, um, why don't you go for doing your best? Um, Why don't you work hard at this task instead of, just getting it done. Um, and a perfect example of that, just have to weigh in on it because it just happened yesterday. 
Um, one of our kids, his, his chore for the day was to clean the commodes at the house. Yeah, now that's his chore for the day. And, and so it's a wonderful chore, an exciting chore. Um, one that most kids love to do. Where is he? Oh, there he is. <laughs> love that guy. Um, but, but his whole deal is if you told him the process of cleaning a commode 8,000 times, on the 8,001st time, he would forget the process. And on the 8,050th time, he'd forget the process again. And so every time you tell him the process, do it this way and do it this way, and he goes in, and I, I, I do not really know how this happens. My wife is the expert on this. He cleans the commode poorly. Now, I'm not an expert commode cleaner. I did it for several years of my life. But he does it poorly for some reason, and then he has to do it again. And so there's this famous saying that we always drag out at one of these episodes, and here's what we say. If you didn't have time to do it right the first time, how will you have time to do it right the second time? Or the third time, or the fourth time, or the fifth time, or whatever it is. And so mediocrity is, is something we all face. And we love Dawson dearly. He's a sweet boy. Um, so, okay, for parents... Um, we'll give them some instructions tonight. Number one, for parents, we need to model and teach a commitment to excellence. We need to model and teach a commitment to excellence. Let's go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 9. Here's the, here's the thing. It's going to be difficult for you, or for anyone, to build an excellent attitude of hard work in young people if you don't have one for yourself. Ecclesiastes 9.10 is a great instruction for us. And this was written at the end of Solomon's life. So he experienced everything that there was out there, and here's what he came up with. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom, in the grave, whither thou goest. And so there's an instruction directly from God here to do our very best when we do something. And that has to happen if we're going to model excellence to the next generation. Here's how we say it in your notes. Whether or not your parents modeled a good work ethic for you, you must do it for your children. Now, if you live um, in a certain generation... It's, it's almost um, guaranteed that your parents modeled a good work ethic. Um, but as generations have passed by and as time has changed, um, there was a generation of, of people, and I'm not trying to generalize here, but there are a lot of people who grew up um, during a time when society was kind of in an uproar and a, all of the universities were trending a certain way and they've continued to go that way. And all of society said, hey, it's not about work anymore. It's about fun. It's about hanging out. And what did they call themselves? Anybody know? They grew hippies, right? Some of you lived through that. How many of you at some point in your life, you can be very honest right here, ever owned a pair of bell-bottom pants? Okay, all right. Love that. Um, how many of you have ever driven in a Volkswagen van? All right. You had one? All right. 
Do you have pictures? Oh, that'd be great. Um, to, see, to see the pictures of, of Kathy and her Volkswagen van. Um, but there are people that started communes all around um, the society, especially in the West here. There were quite a few communes where you could go just hang out. Now, hanging out is really fun, but it doesn't get much done. It doesn't get much accomplished. And, and a lot of those hippies grew out of that stage. Now, every once in a while, you're going to run across one who's in their 60s who's still there. They haven't left. Um, they still kept that model for their whole life. In fact, they still probably have the Volkswagen van. And you see them, and you can look on We Are the People of Walmart and see them as they go to Walmart. Um, but but those, most of them grew out, that, out of that stage, and then they had their own children. Here, here's what happened. The model of hard work had not happened in their early adulthood, and they didn't transfer it to their kids. And so now there's a generation of kids growing up all over the United States who have no idea what hard work is. In fact, most Americans who are younger than a, a certain age, whatever age it would be, they don't even understand hard work at all. I mean, if you ask them to do a basic task, they act like they're dying. I mean, it's just like, Whoa, what did you do to us? You know, take the garbage out. Oh, oh, you know, their hearts fail. Um, but if you go to other parts of the world, they make us look foolish with how hard they work. They just make us look foolish. And we have some hard-working people at Centennial. They're just incredibly hard-working people who are teaching their young people to work hard. And that's very important. Number two, we believe God has given us the responsibility of developing children to their fullest potential. God did not call you to be a parent so that you could mail it in. God didn't call you to be a parent just so that you could birth a newborn baby into, into earth and then go out on the sidewalk and say, okay, here you go. Have fun. We'll see. If you, if you ever need anything, you call us, okay? Um, but that's sometimes the way people parent. And unfortunately, you know, that's sometimes the way people spiritually parent. They bring new Christians into the faith and then they abandon them. And they wonder, why does this new Christian have a dirty diaper all the time? Because they're a baby Christian. And, and so it's hard work, whether you're a physical parent or you're a spiritual parent. But we believe that God has given us this responsibility. Proverbs chapter 22. So back to your left just a little bit. Proverbs chapter 22. And you've probably heard this verse before. Great instruction. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a very important instruction for us to train up a child in the way he should go. And let's talk through this in your notes. This requires you to call a young person back to finish or redo a job when it would be easier just to do it yourself. I don't know if you, this has ever happened to you. If you have a child, I'm sure it has. Um, when you assign a task and your kid doesn't do it right, you can say, oh, can't even believe I've tried to get him to do it. I'm just going to finish it. You know what? Call him back in and make him do it. 
And if they don't do it right, call them back in and make them do it again. Um, my little sister Laura is a missionary in Africa with her family. And I remember uh, when we were kids, I don't even remember what it was, but there was a certain thing that she decided at dinner that she wasn't going to eat. She just said, I'm not going to eat it. Now, there were a couple times where she made that decision, and her parents forced her to eat it, and it soon came back all over the table. But this particular time, she, she's a finicky eater. She doesn't even like bananas, right? Is there anybody in here who doesn't like bananas? Tamara, you don't like bananas? What is wrong with you, son? Um, he doesn't like bananas, um, but she doesn't even like bananas. And so there was something she didn't want to eat. And so the, my parents said, okay, well, you can have it for breakfast then. And so they got it back out and they put it out for breakfast and she still didn't want it. And so they said, okay, well, you can have it for lunch then. You know, eventually she got hungry enough to eat that. You just have to keep bringing them back. Now, some people say that's torture. You can't treat children that way. You can't expect to have your kid remow the lawn because he missed stripes all over the lawn. How do you think he's going to learn how to mow a lawn if you don't teach him that he can't miss six-inch swaths in the yard? If you ever had a kid, you know that that happens. So you have to call him back because training up a child in the way he should go is not just talking about the way to eternal life, which it certainly is. But it's also talking about the actual design purpose that God has for that child. You know, their vocation, their future occupation is going to come from the desires that God has placed in their heart through the filter or the work of your home, through the labor that you've placed into their hands. And so this is incredibly important. Now, there are four root causes of mediocrity or low expectations. And a lot of times we, we have people who have no expectations for their kids. They let their 19-year-old kid live at home and play video games all day. Now, if you have that expectation for your kid, guess what he's going to do till he's 30 years old? Sit on your couch, eat Pringles, and play video games. Because that's what you have given him as an expectation. Now, it can be humorous until it's your kid. There are kids all over the United States who never got taught how to work, and now they've moved back in. The rate is higher than it has been ever in American history of kids who have moved back in. And if your kid moved back in, I'm not picking on you. That doesn't mean you're a bad parent. Your kid has to make decisions for himself or herself. But those who have young people, train them early. Don't set your expectations too low. Now, you have to be careful on the other end of this. You don't want to set your expectations too high, right? My parents, um, they understood early on that I was not going to be six foot eight. And so they did not expect me to be six foot eight. And, and sometimes we, we see kids, you know, they're six years old and they're out in youth league basketball. And dad thinks they're going to be the next LeBron James. And so when they dribble the ball out of bounds off their foot, the six-year-old, dad stands up in the stands and just starts reaming them out. And that's probably the other end. Okay, that's psycho dad. 
So, so you got low expectations, high expectations. You, you ought to have biblical, God-centered ones. Here are some of the reasons, though. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Because their friends don't have to do much. Because their friends are their biggest influence on how hard they work. Another one is ineffective motivation. Ineffective motivation. If we don't motivate young people to do things the right way, why would they want to do them? Um, they, they're growing up in a society where they're trained by the humanistic progressive society to ask why. To say no rules. To say we'll only do it if we get all the information. That was different 30 or 40 years ago. You could tell somebody, you go do that right now, and they didn't ask why. They just say, okay. Right? Even in church, they could stand up and tell people, you do this, this, and this this week, and they'd go do it. But now, society wants to know, well, why should I? And they're asking those types of questions, and young people are going up asking those types of questions. And so there is ineffective motivation. Another one is inadequate support. You should be your kid's biggest cheerleader. Um, in a positive, in a, in a good way. Um, sometimes kids get discouraged. Um, and, and we need to really encourage them. This week, uh, our girls from the school were in the volleyball tournament uh, for their league. And Monday night, um, they played really well. And I missed that game because I was with Brother Banwell. Uh, but they lost. And so they went into the loser's bracket. Haven't you always liked the name of that, the loser's bracket? Um, and, and they played Thursday night against a team that beat them twice this year in the loser's bracket. And they won. They won. In fact, the first game, they totally destroyed the other team. The second game, they looked up and figured out they were actually ahead, and they freaked out. They, didn't, they don't know what to do with the lead. And so they gave it all back, right? You know, here, we took a game. Here, you have a game. And then they came back, and they ended up winning, I think, in four. But I've been to thousands of sporting events in my life, probably. Um, I'm ashamed to say. Most of them are related to my own sporting events in school. But, you know, I don't think I've ever, at a sporting event, been sitting there at the end of a game and start crying, Except once when Boise State lost. Um, but, but I sat there at the end of the game, and all of a sudden I realized I got tears running down my face because those girls out on the court won. And, you know, they looked like they won the Super Bowl. They were jumping and doing all kinds of things with, you know, things flopping all over the floor, and their parents charged and stormed the court. Everybody was excited. There was some cheerleading going on. People supported them. You know, they supported them whether they lost or they won, but that was an exciting thing. And uh, there are things bigger than sports, obviously, but we ought to get into cheerleading when our young people are doing something positive. When they're going for the gold, when they're putting out an excellent effort, we should know you let them know that's what it takes. That's good. That's a positive thing. 
Uh, it kind of irks me when parents um, find their kids who've worked so hard in a game. And it irks me because I do it sometimes. The boys will get out of a game, and uh, I'll tell them it's a good game, did good, but you should have done this. You shouldn't have run that direction, and you should have thrown the ball right there. And why didn't you block better? You know, so, so we all have that inside of us. But we ought to be good cheerleaders. Let's talk to the young people now in section two. Number one, here is a conviction for young people. I work for an unseen boss. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is a principle that every one of us have learned from the earliest age, and yet it's one that if we're not careful, we'll forget it. We'll let it slip us by. Colossians 3, verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And so I work for an unseen boss. And young people, underneath this, we say sliding along and getting by will not fool anyone for the long, ter- the long term, but it will never fool God. It'll never fool God. When you skate by, it never fools God. You know, there are some young people who can walk into the classroom on exam day, grab a notebook, look at the material one time, take a test, and pass it. But God knows the work that was put into it. You know, there are some kids who study all night for two nights, the night couple nights before, walk into the same test and get a C or a D. And people look, oh, goodness gracious, you didn't work hard. But you know, God sees how hard they worked. God knows what effort they put forth, and he's pleased. We work for God. We don't just work for men. And you can fool your teacher, and a lot of times young people do. You can fool your parents, and a lot of times young people do. You can fool your boss for a while, A lot of times young people do, but you can never fool God. God knows what's happening in your heart. He knows your real work ethic. And so the best thing you could do if you're a young person is to make God your boss. Make God your counselor. Make God the one who oversees your life. Make God the chaperone on your date. Make God the the person who's going to watch over everything you do in life. And that'll take you a long way as you move forward into adulthood. Number two, I need to strive for excellence in everything I do. We get this from Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This is in the middle of a parable, parable of the unjust steward. And I want you to take this one verse out, verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. This is one of God's scientific laws. And we can never get past it. Um, You have known people all your life, if you're an adult, especially some who've had some great life experience, You've known people all your life who thought that they could get by by only working hard at the big stuff. And you can't. 
It's against God's scientific law. If you're faithful in the little things, God will allow you to do the big things. But if you won't be faithful in the little things, God never gives you those big opportunities in his kingdom. And I, I have people who, who think things and say things quite often that I hear about, say, why doesn't God ever give me anything big to do? Well, if God's asked you to be his child, that's pretty big. That's, that's for starters. But here's, here's probably why. Because you're not doing the little things he's already given you to do. See, if you can't be faithful to open the word of God every day, how could God give you anything bigger to do? If you can't be faithful to spend significant time in prayer with him each and every day and week, how could he give you more to do? And, and so God looks at the little things in our hearts and they become very big to him. We say underneath in your notes, a child must be trained to be trustworthy, to fulfill his commitments, and to do a good job even when no one is looking. You know, sometimes we come down in the morning and the kids are already up and doing things and we come down and the dishwasher is empty. That's, that's a little thing, right? You know, sometimes who does that? The same kid I picked on earlier, Dawson. Horrible at cleaning toilets, great at emptying the dishwasher. Terrific. Um, you know, you know he, he just does it. He, nobody tells him to do it. And we notice it's a big deal um, at our house when he does something like that. But to be trustworthy when no one is looking, sometimes when no one told you to do it, that's where you begin to mature into an adult. See, becoming an adult has nothing to do with age. There are people in their 30s who are children. Just look at how much time they spent on their video game console this week or on Facebook or whatever it is. But there are people who are in their teenage years who have grown to the point where they accept and they work on responsibility. And that's what God wants from us. He has a plan for our lives. Here's some final instructions. There are several topics that fall under the discussion of this trap. And this is something that as parents, you should talk about um, between yourselves. If you're a single parent, talk with a, a friend or somebody in your life group about things like this. Um, chores. How many chores should I give to my kid? What kind of chores should they be? Um, I think every kid ought to have chores. Every kid ought to have chores. Um, because it teaches that young person how to, to have, be a hard worker, to have a work ethic. Now, even if they don't do very good at those chores, you still have them do it. I remember the most dreaded chore, well, there were probably two or three dreaded chores that I had, but, but one of the ones in the summer, um, we, well, not we, I, my sisters were no help at all. I was expected to go out in the garden and pick beans. Almost every day, green beans. And it was probably only a few weeks of the year when they were in season, but it seemed interminable. Um, it seemed like it was the entire year long. And every bean row seemed as if it were a quarter mile long. Right? And I walked to school five miles both ways uphill in the snow without shoes. 
And uh, when we got there, there's no wood for the fire. And so we walked two miles to get wood. And by the time we got back, school was out. By the time we got home, it was time to go to school again. We didn't eat for nine months. Um, but no, the, the, but the bean rows seemed very long. They're probably like 20 feet long. And there were only like five or six rows. But man, they were my nemesis. And I'd get along and be going to pick the beans. And these Japanese beetles would be flying in. And it, and it was like a battle zone in the bean field. And there'd be a wasp on the bean plant or a honeybee would come. And man, you got all these trials and tribulations while you're working. But it seemed like I always came out with a sack of beans. Even if it took four hours to do five bean rows or whatever it was. There are chores that every kid hates to do. Right? On the count of three kids, tell me your least favorite chore and say it out loud so your parents can hear it, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. Yep, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. (laughs) Now, parents, you just got a clue in right there. You know what's going on around your house. Uh, But chores. Another one is allowances. Allowances. And some, some parents say, well, I don't give an allowance. I already provide room and board. And that's okay, but here's something to think about. How is your child going to learn how to give and save and spend if you don't teach them? School's not going to teach them the right way to do it. Um, so, so if you give an allowance, you can teach them how to give to the Lord out of their allowance. You can teach them how to save, and you can teach them how to spend. I think there's a good way to do it. Just get three jars and mark on one, give. Mark on one, save. Mark on the other one, spend or live. And if you teach them right away how to do that, when they become 17, 18, 19 years old, and they're out living on their own, they know how to do those things. And you would not believe how many kids leave home for the first time and ruin their lives in debt because they don't know how to spend money. So allowances. Another one is schoolwork. How hard do I push my kids in schoolwork? What should I expect from them? And some kids, their best they could do is a B. Some kids could get an A in their sleep. So, so how do I work at this? How do I get them to do what they need to do? There's an excellent book you could get on Amazon called The Way They Learn. One of the first things you ought to do is find out your child's learning style. Find out how he or she learns, and that's very important to the task. The last one is jobs. Um, and usually this starts with part-time jobs. And uh, I, I know that some parents say, but, well, they're going to have their whole life to work. And that's true. Um, I don't think part-time jobs should ever take them out of lifehood events that are very important in their teenage years. Um, I, I wouldn't let a part-time job take a young person from going to youth camp. I think that's a huge foundational week for them every year of their teenage lives. But a part-time job can be good because it teaches them how to work for another person. Believe it or not, your kids may work better for somebody else than they work for you. Right? It could be that your kids just don't like you. And when you are their taskmaster, they don't enjoy working. So see how they work for another person. It teaches them responsibility. They have to be somewhere at a certain time. They have to stay a certain number of hours. Here's what I think is so important. It exposes them to the real world while they still live under your care. 
See, a lot of times we shelter kids and they never go out and do anything until they leave home and then they don't have anybody to process it with. They don't have a godly parent who's there to talk through what happened at work today. And it, it, it wounds them for their lives and it hurts them. So that's a good one. Um, fulfilling commitment is, is a good thing. That even when they want to go to a friend's house on a Friday night, they've got to go scoop ice cream. Or they've got to go wash windows or whatever it is that their job has them to do. Um, and, and then a couple more. It teaches them what they like and they don't like in work situations. You know, there are kids who've never worked any job who turn 18 and they go to college and decide a vocation and they've never worked a day in their life. Now, what if you went to six years of school to start learning how to be a veterinarian and then you go out the first day of actual work and learn that you don't like animals? Right? What if you become a phlebotomist and you go to school and then you learn that at the sight of blood you faint? That's not going to be good. So a part-time job is good for you to learn what you like and what you don't like in the workforce and begin to process those things with godly parents who are guarding you through that time. And so this is a big one, mediocrity. And I hope we'll take that and use it. After we dismiss in prayer, we have um, service groups. Our ushers and greeters are in the coffee room. I believe all of our children's ministries are in here tonight. Our prayer and care chain is down the hall. And uh, so we ask you, if you would, to be able to go to your groups tonight and uh, spend just about 10 or 15 minutes updating what we're doing for the, this coming week. And be praying about uh, our holiday season and all the things that are taking place. We had several uh, guest families with us this morning, and we were encouraged by that, and we want to reach out to them. Let's stand. We're going to dismiss in a closing word. Father, we thank you once again that we could be in this place. I help that you, pray that you would help us to go out of here uh, with hearts stirred to live for you that we would set up the right structures and boundaries in our personal lives and our families, and that you would help us to be fruitful in our church ministry as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.